The show that gives due south its dues one episode at a time. We're doing part two right now. So <laughs> yeah, we're gonna say make... one episode at a time. I think we're doing like one episode every two. This weeks. episode <laughs> went so off the rails, and I thought, seeing as we don't always get to set and record each week, we make this a two-parter. Yeah. So we're going to be continuing straight on from where we mm-hmm. left off last week on the deal. Because mm-hmm. we just got off track. So the rum we're drinking is the same. We're still on what's Oh, called? it's still the amazing. I'm it's Bella Black, isn't it? Bella Black. That's it's lovely. Bella Black, yeah. Bella Black. We've still got the same mini mountains as we did last week. Yeah. We're still mini mountains anyway. Everything's the same. We're going to rejoin it now. So, um, Michelle, we've also got um, mini mountain Neve. Number one. Mini mountain Prime, Neve, yeah. around. And Dottie Baker. Did I mention Dottie Baker? We've and got we're got also it. very drunk. That's why the last no, part... No, it's not drunk. Tipsy. That's why the last part takes so long to record. Michelle's still a nightmare and still is in rehab after this. Me! Say hello, everybody! We're now on part two, we're recording. That's good. Yeah, because she rambled so much. So we're now going to play clip number two. We're on part two, we're only on clip number two. Part two! (laughs) How are we only on clip number two? So uh, please, if you haven't listened to last week's episode, that'll give you the background. Okay, so this one is, it's got Huey, Louie, and Elaine. And we like this because usually they're little flames in the episode. And this is what I love about, this is what we, we love about this episode is because it does break some of the uh, usual norms of mm-hmm. due south. Usually there's so many set pieces. You've got the Elaine moment, you've got the Huey and Dewey moment, you've got the Walsh moment. They're all mixed up. They are not in the usual roles they play. Michelle, where are you going? Michelle, you go for a wee final point of clip. I don't want to wet myself on the podcast. So we like, oh Jesus, she needs help, fellas. Uh, people, more fellas. Anyway, so we like the fact in this episode that you've thrown everything out the window. So like the first clip isn't your usual Benny and uh, Ray clip. It isn't them doing the usual, here's what's happening this episode, even though the first clip does set up the rest of the episode. It doesn't do it in the usual way. You have so many guest characters, and those who are regulars aren't playing their usual role. So it's really nice to to turn everything on its head, and it's a more serious episode. Now you may notice in this episode, and I'll talk with um, Michelle about this in a bit, that Ray's outfits are a lot more sedate. She, he's a lot like more plain clothes, as I've noted in other episodes. 
usually when they have a more heavy episode or some more serious stuff happening, they cut the silly with his outfit. They cut the colourful. They just have a bit of um, bit more of a serious tone to the episode. So anyway, here is a, a, it is a rather funny clip though, but it's a a Huey, Dewey, and Elaine talking about the Wizard of Oz, which is not the running theme of this episode. Is that they're trying to work this back to another story. So uh, when uh, Ray is talking about it, he goes, "Oh, it's like the elves with the shoes." And when uh, Huey, Dewey, and Elaine are talking about it, they talk about the Wizard of Oz. This clip's called Dorothy on the Weekends. Here we go. Any shoes there? They're just really cool. So they shoes? Glenda, the good witch in the Wizard of Oz. No, that was magic. They were slippers, not shoes. I always wanted a pair of ruby slippers. I used to try on my mother's high heel shoes standing in front of the mirror, click my heels together and say, there's no place like home. There's no place like home. There's no place like home. Me too. Well, you know, I, I want to get Tim in. I, I dress up like a Tim and my sister, which was up like Dorothy. I will never play with my sister. What? Oh, you're coming. It's nothing fancy. You know, but I'm making a little... Yeah, and what's lovely about that is it's like him pretending that someone was calling. He was like, what, what's that? Okay, yes, I'm coming. <laughs> Classic little bit of setup. Yeah, I was saying before, like, you've got the whole Ray thing of not... Wearing loud shirts because it's a more serious episode. Yeah. I think that theory is really holding up well. Absolutely. And I think right, right from the beginning with Ray, I mean, he was in like proper smart clothes. I mean, suit and tie. And we can't get much smarter than that. And, and that is what Ray was wearing right from the beginning. And it's really interesting to kind of like pick these things up on the episodes. This is a little bit later on. I thought that he was wearing jeans. Yeah. I kind of thought, oh, he's kind of like wearing a shirt and tie and jeans. That makes it a little bit more like a bit. Like the closer I looked, I was like, nothing, it's just blue trousers, actually. I think for the entire episode, he was wearing like dotty, which is Yeah, I think for the entire episode, I think Ray was actually wearing like really smart clothes. And I actually like that a bit later on when you really see kind of, you know, um, Ray being very kind of, um, when he's being serious later on, you kind of yeah, you I think it I think it helps that he wasn't um He wasn't in uh, a lighter garb. Yeah. You know, he wasn't being his lighter kind of um JP South like later on in the episode and I think that helps. Cool. Okay, what's the next note? Ooh, my next note is um um, yeah, so after this, um, they tracked down um, Frank Zuko because, I mean, it turns out this whole thing has been about money making. They go back and they chat with the, um, the guy that stole, you know, they've got the guy that stole the money from the church. And, excuse me, and it turns out that the, um, you know, Zuko, he's been like making money off of this guy. He's been like, um, like getting money out of him. He's been putting up money. Yeah, that was your classic extortion record. So he's yeah. like basically going around going, oh, well, it's a lovely shoemaking shop you've got here. Wouldn't it be a shame if I burned down? I think I should offer you some protection. Oh, because he's yeah. out of the 50s gangster, maybe. I think that's how it seems. And this guy, originally, he's got like a family. He's got a shop, a business. He's doing really well. And all of a sudden, this guy's extorting him, but he loses, like, everything. 
Oh, and it is this family, his business, and they give him like he gives, gives a little great quote where he goes, "Like all I could see was he was putting uh, a few hundred into the collection box. The good thing was that's my money. Yes, yeah. it's been stored out of him. And uh, you know, Ray, I think it's in the later scene, but he says, "No, I've gone down this road. You know, you can't stop a um, a neighborhood organization." Which is how it seemed. Like he's, yeah. he's doing all the protection, neighborhood protection organization. I yeah. Call it. It's one of these things with Sam Graham paper, you know, everyone just protecting each other and they pay a little bit of money. But obviously it's a shakedown. Classic kind of monster move, really. Yeah, absolutely. So this poor guy's got caught up in it all. He's ended up absolutely broke. And that's why he's ended up breaking this. Um, money box at the church he's kind of taken what he feels is his own money he's taken his money back yeah um and then there's you asked me to write this down Les Mis it's, it's like Les Mis oh yeah yeah there's a scene where they're in the church and the priest's there yeah and uh they're saying to priests like well we caught the guy he's confessed you know we're ready to to press charges the priest goes well Said he was, uh, this guy was destitute, because yeah, what's the poor box for? And he, it's so miserable. If anyone knows that show, it's a great show, great film. And they, they kind of basically have the scene where Jean Valjean, the protagonist, the, mm-hmm. the hero of the movie, if you will, he's, he's in such a desperate situation, he can't see another way out. He's an ex con who's trying to make good. But no one will hire him. And he goes into this priest's house, house where he's invited in to stay the night. And he goes to steal these uh, candlesticks. Uh, yeah, I think it's like candelabras. And then uh, the, the, the law takes him back to because he's running away with his candlesticks. He gets ca- captured by the police. They take him back to the priest's house and goes, look, we caught him. He was trying to steal the candlesticks. He goes, oh, thank God you came back. Did you forget I made a gift of these cups also you know would you leave the best but behind like silver and gold like so and really expensive absolute, stuff, isn't it? yeah you forgot i made a gift of these also would you leave the best behind mm. yeah such beautiful lyrics and such beautiful and he goes like thank god you caught him yeah you know you think he's going to jog him in and then turns out he's just going to give he him something give else him more. Yeah. and he was saying look take this stuff make an honest man of yourself such a beautiful moment such a like it's it's what makes that show is then he does make himself on. He mm. feels like he's sold, sold his soul to God for good. Whether you believe in God or not, it's about selling your soul to good. Yeah. And deciding to do the right thing from now on. And that's what leads him to later on turn himself in, because it's like he sells out the name he's become. Who is he anymore? Who am I? Is the name Who of the song. Who am I? No, don't make me forget. Uh, I didn't make you do that. Not at all. I mean, in many ways, I was against it. No, no, no. Uh, but, Understandably. But it was lovely. This, what, what a, uh, a sweet moment. So this priest doing that saying, what's the poor box for if not for him? It's exactly that same moment. Yeah. I just love it. And, uh, oh, God, and the priest in the name is, sorry, I'm going to, I'm going to oh, right. this tantrum. This bit where he goes, um, he turns to the police and goes, so I thank you for your duty and may God's blessing go with you. So he's even thanking the lawman, even though he's going, hey, stop this guy. But, <laughs> cheers, you did a great job. Yeah. I mean, oh, I absolutely love him, so, yeah. So in this that. episode, there's a few, there's, there's, something, there's some others coming up later because mm. there's, I think, a few references to classic 
films and stage shows, maybe directly, maybe indirectly. I don't know if they did on purpose. They're certainly nods to some of those classic tropes. In a homage way, I think, more than stealing guitar. Mm. I wouldn't be surprised if uh, Paul Gross and Paul Haggis, which Paul Haggis the creator, Paul, uh, Paul Gross the actor, but uh, who's the other guy? David Shaw, I think, was writing on this episode as well. Classic Due uh, South Swans house writer. Mm. I wasn't surprised if they'd seen Les Mis and got inspired a little bit. You're not being inspired. But, yeah, so we've got this bit. It's a bit like Les Mis, and then we've moving on for that. Um, so, you know, this is Zuko. He feels like um, Benny is the right person to track down this bad guy that stole the money back from the church. He sends him lots of gifts. He's kind of like, yeah, you're, you're kind of like working on my side. You're going to catch the bad guy. You're going to get my money back. And he sends him lots of kind of like gifts in gratitude. Like before he's even caught the guy, doesn't he? Like he goes back to his um, apartment, which it's very well known. Benny's apartment is very sparse. Yeah, he hasn't even got a bed frame. Just yeah. been locked. It's just like a bed and everything. There's hardly anything in it. He goes back to his apartment. There's all this stuff in there that's been sent to him by Zuko. And it's like, um, <laughs> no. And what did I say to you at this moment? That moment. Nine seasons. It should yeah. be in your notes. Why isn't it in your notes? It is. It is in my notes. So why aren't you looking at it when I say, what do I say to you? What's the point of making notes if you're not going to refer to Because you're asking me, what did you say? I'm like, I don't And know. you wrote it down, so yes, you should be looking at notes. I wrote it down. I wrote it down. Man, God, I'm turning to Jeff Garland from the Goldbergs. More and more. <laughs> I used to down the Goldbergs. Like, why are you writing down your notes, you moron? I did. <laughs> anyway, he wrote, he wrote his notes. He said, uh, he said, oh, and... It reminded me of Man Full Seasons. Anyone who knows that film, classic, it's got uh, Paul Schofield in it as uh, the main guy, and it's also got um, John Hurt as the guy, so sounds mountain there. Okay. Great film. It's one of my dad's favourites. It's actually, genuinely, I only watched it actually last year when John Hurt died, I watched this back. Or maybe in this year. I know I downloaded it when, um, when John Hurt died, but I think it might take me a while to get around to watching it. One of my lasting regrets is actually I really watched it, wish I watched it with my dad because it was one of his favourite films. I never got around to it. It's one which, like, just because I was a kid at the time and it's like, oh, old film. But there's a great moment where gifts are made to this guy. He's a judge. And they're trying to get him to be corrupted, to give verdicts they want. And they give him gifts of, like, there is a candlestick, actually, bizarrely enough, much like in Les Miserables. Mm. And he gets gifted these things, and he keeps on giving out these things he gets given to charity. So he is so above that that he gives them out. And Benny says a line in this saying, uh, actually, it would be illegal for me to accept these gifts, even if, you know, and he goes, give it to charity. He goes, well, even that would be illegal. And the way they get him in A Man Full of Seasons because he gets, basically he gets hung out to dry by his friends, by the community he serves. They get these people going and say, well, we gave him this candlestick. And he goes, I'll give it to charities, I'll approve it. That's the way they get him. So even though this guy is pure and innocent, he gets strung up by the very people he was serving, even though he's... he's... And, you know, uh, the John Hurt character, it's one of Kevin Smith. 
are mutual hero. Absolutely. One of his very favorite quotes from any movie. And again, like my, my hero and my, I guess, my OG hero, my dad, both love this movie. And he goes, he always quotes this one quote, which when he was on Stephen Colbert's Late Show, he went backstage and he knew he was a fan, so he said to him, he repeated by this line, which um, Paul Schofield says to John Hurt, he goes, benefits a man not to sell his soul for the whole world. And then both Stephen Colbert and uh, Kevin Smith say in unison, but for Wales. <laughs> the whole idea is like, you know, to sell your, your soul for the whole world isn't worth it, but for Wales, for God's sake. Wales! <laughs> and it's just so lovely. But anyway, they just remind me of that. Like, again, it seemed very inspiring. It's almost like to have two such... Theatrical, because they, they, they're both stage shows as well as movies. Mm. There's two sets of theatrical references in there in one episode. Seems more of a coincidence. I think whoever wrote this episode, which um, I'm going to look up actually in a second, mm. but it seems like more of a coincidence that they'd end up with two things which I can so clearly see in one episode. So this was written by uh, Peter Lethcroft. L-E-F Left Court. L-E-F-C-O-U-R-T. And it's got Paul Haggis listed, but he's as a creator, so he kind of wrote the characters. Mm. So, Paul, I think you're a bit of a musical fan if I didn't know better. Well, which I don't know. Oh, really maybe. Maybe. No, right, maybe not. Okay, so, yeah, moving on to that. Yeah, I'm just going to come scan that. Oh, my God, you just nicked my crisp. You're so good. Don't worry. Really you absolute shocker. You're getting distracted. Oh, yeah, I, clearly, I was distracted. That otherwise, I would never, ever, ever let you get away with stealing my Chris. Oh yeah, I know the Chris right where I have. <laughs> by the way, this episode is also brought to you by uh, Mamas Mano Mosa Mano Mosa Sorrento Chili and you Catan Honey. Which, if you're, well, it depends on what breed of eating you are. When he's either good or it isn't. No, I haven't. We're saying it's okay. Yeah. Well, I am. Uh, yeah. Look, bees purposely produce more, well, they produce more honey than they need. So, if ethical uh, beekeepers are producing this honey, then they will just take the stuff they need, leave enough for the hive. And they won't do the evil stuff, which is some unethical ones, who then take all the honey and replace it with fructose corn syrup, which is harmful to the bees. So I'm saying this is ethical honey, which I'm just going to assume it is. Um, I did the research. No, I didn't. Look, look, it's possible. Why do you know it's not, Michelle? Michelle, My biggest problem with honey is with the queen bees. Mm Mm-hmm. They cut off their wings. Some of them do. Some of them do. It's not universal. Is it not? No, it's not. Well, I looked it up. And according to this general article, they talked about the controversy amongst the vegan community, mm. where some clipped the wings of the bees, some replaced the honey with fructose corn syrup to take all the honey. Others don't, apparently. Really? Okay. That's apparently so, I don't know, but um, maybe I do need to do a bit more research, but let's start talking about yourself. Yeah, yeah, I know, there's a podcast going on and stuff. Yeah. 
Just done my man four seasons, yeah, right? Yeah, say like the man four seasons, and then there's um, there's, yeah. So, so what I'm looking at here with my notes that I've made: um, neighborhood change, unusual music. Oh, yeah. So one of the things that we we're going to actually point out in your own time. I know, so I'm trying to like read my mind here. Is one of the things that we um, kind of picked up was the unusual music that used in due south in this episode. It's Oh, they use some really kind yeah. of like, uh, and it's quite different from the music they normally use, which was quite interesting. I thought, um, I think, um, normally kind of, um, like listening to the new, uh, due south like music, there's, um, there's kind of like a little bit of a, a theme that kind of goes along with the music, but this one it was very, very different, a bit harder, a bit more kind of melodramatic, a bit more. I kind of want to say um, hardcore grrr metal. Grrr metal. metal. Yeah, that's what I'm calling it, the hardcore grrr metal. And by the way, a Shay Duffin appears in this episode as Father Behan, who's the priest in this episode. He was also the priest. I just recognised him for the first. I didn't recognise him during the episode. He was in a hawk and a handsaw. He was the one who I questioned oh, his accent on. Okay. But he's... Irish-American, yeah, yeah. spent a lot of time in America, which we realised was the reason why his accent wasn't stereotypically if someone was Irish, like just born and raised in Ireland then grew up there and stayed there. Someone's moved to America, the accent might change. We kind of worked out that was what it was. That's him. He's also going to pop up in Victoria's Secret Part 1 and Part 2. Ooh, it is coming up, not just yet. Oh my God, I can't wait for that episode. So anyway, go on. I'll watch you next night. Because actually there was no... nothing to say about that, then. What? Well, the music. I said it was good. I, I said, yeah, 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 except your point and I agreed. There's also a woman who I can't find here in the credits who also had a very unusual... I think it was meant to be Scottish accent, but it did not sound oh, yeah, Scottish. Yeah, so there was, yeah, there was actually, that seemed to kind of change a little bit, wasn't there? <laughs> Again, it's very possible... That she maybe was Scottish American, maybe she was uh, from Scotland, moved to America, and her accent had changed. So I don't like after realizing that with the other guy, I don't want to insult her. Like I accidentally insulted the guy, and I realized later I was wrong. Mm-hmm. Like he may have been uh, Scottish born, or like uh, Irish born, sorry, but he'd been in America for several years. So I think that leads a lot of reasons why his accent might have changed or mellowed mm-hmm. or whatever during the years. Anyway, next time. Yeah, well, my next step is actually the bit that we kind of referenced earlier on, where, um, um, yeah, so Elaine is having Benny, because Benny gets beaten up. It was kind of, like, briefly touched this earlier on, but I was at the wrong point. Benny gets actually beaten up. They actually beat him up. Yeah. I mean, I'm so devastated to see. Are we already on that bit? Yes, but that is the bit we're on. That is okay. the bit we're on. That's what I was asking, yeah. <laughs> I'm glad you emphasised it so much. Richie, I'm a bit, but it's the bit we're on. That is a bit we're on. Bloody hell, he got beaten up by poor little Benny. Yeah? I mean, uh, uh, you know, oh my God. Well, that's, again, that's why this episode, I think, is more serious. Yeah, it's like normally he, you know, he finds his way out of all these scrapes and everything, but this one, no, he doesn't. He's actually there, he gets beaten up, 
Well, there's genuine consequences. Like, you know, Benny, there's a classic Shakespeare quote, and I know this is going a bit lofty, but we've been talking about uh, theatre and everything. He jests at scars that never saw a wound. So it means to make away of something which is actually really serious. And so often, Benny makes a joke out of these things almost. Like, and is that not that he makes a joke, but it's like the episode kind of makes a joke out of him being in such serious situations and him still keeping his cool. So, like, he could die in several situations which he puts himself in in the episodes. Yeah. But you know there's no real peril because he's Benny. And he's got these incredible skills of uh, tracking and uh, hunting and survivalism. Survivalism? Not necessarily hunting, actually, but you know what I mean. He's got these amazing skills. Here, he puts himself in risk. And Ray puts himself at risk. They put themselves in risk together. There's genuine consequences. They can genuinely come to harm. And he does. He, and really, he does. He does. He does this um, scene. He does come to harm. Actually, I think we've got. I think we might have even passed over a scene we had to play in here. Let's go to my clips. Um, Michelle, keep talking. Yeah, I mean, after um, he's beaten up, one of the things that we see is he's back at the um, police station. Oh, we've missed a clip. Yeah, there was an episode, first of all, so it just kind of relates to what we were talking before. Actually, let's just skip over it. There is a scene which I was going to play in where Ray is talking about inflation and in the neighbourhood, he talks really seriously. He gets really pissed off with what's happening. Yeah, he really does. And, um, and it, actually, no, oh, sorry, I'm just going to play it. Here is uh, Ray getting really pissed off about what happens in his neighbourhood uh, when, when the prices go up like... Uh, it's called inflation anyway, let's go. Extra sound effects by Dotty <laughs> walking around, by cars passing by the window, by anything else you can care to men mention that happened. That happens right after a scene, another one of these scenes in the basketball court referenced last week on the podcast. We did say last week that they, you would get extra sound effects in the clips this week. Sorry, but we are going to be going through a deck soon, hopefully. But anyway, uh, that was a scene where Benny tries to reason and to be gentlemanly with Zuko and play like a bit of basketball. And he gets a basketball right in his face. It's, uh, you know, he, he's, he's then 
going off to the linesman, which are like his two mates. They're sitting there reading a newspaper, not really looking. And Zuko's going, it's like, was that a foul? And I elbowed him in the face. It's like, no foul. And, you know, then he elbows Benny Ray in the face. And it's like, oh, well, I won. <laughs> it's, it's a really clear sign that this is a punk kid. He's used to getting his way. You know, in Benny's case, it's not that he couldn't take him down in a second. With many people's cases, it's a fact that he won't because he's a gentleman. Mm. Well, Michelle, thank you for that. <laughs> well, you know, if you bother to listen. I was well, you went um and then went silent. I'm sorry. Well, I was actually going to... Um, I mean, I was with... Um, I know that, um, that helps. It's so rude. So rude sometimes. Um, am I? Um, yes, you are. What I was going to bring up. Um, so we <laughs> don't make me laugh. That's not going to help. Um, <laughs> I made me laugh. Because <laughs> you have know, my Lamborghini while I say this. I'm sorry. Have we gone back to the sixties? <laughs> no, you just gone back to West End. Anyway, hilarious <laughs> <laughs> Hampton. <laughs> Sorry, it's more Bassett. Yeah, that's right. More Bassett than West End. Um, Not the nice end of Bassett either. <laughs> Why that makes a difference? There's nice areas of Bassett. They've got some nice houses around there. Not the area you come from. No, it's not mine. Really? What I was going to say, I was going to go back to the whole basketball thing. So we've got Ray and we've got some Zuko. So <laughs> We're just listening at this stage. Genuinely, I wasn't saying anything. Don't think, I'm not. One of the things with Zuko is, he's, I think it's just become known that he's a bit of a coward, really, isn't it? It's yes. like if he's ever beaten anyone up, it's because somebody has been holding him down. Holding him no, no, that's another clip. Have you, are you going to queue up the uh, Sunni Nota part three? Yeah. Oh, it sounds like you're going into the other one. Does someone go to someone? Oh, yeah. Okay, let me, let me, let me. There's a scene now between... We're going to be pretty clip-heavy for, for a few moments because there's a couple of clips which I think are very key to the episode. One of which is when uh, Benny has just been beaten up. He's been looked after by... Lovely Elaine. By Elaine. And, yeah, uh, it's just really, I feel like they reference, there's a whole author thing they've referenced a couple of times during the episode. They now finally explain what that's about. And then we'll go into the bit where he's never been challenged, because that's the next clip. Michelle, don't look at me like that. You'd missed a clip, I think. Oh, yes, but you see, strictly speaking, he did adhere to the law because that's when he 
Hawaiian water is illegal in the territories. Indeed. So there's nothing that police could do for you? No. Although they did uh, change the law after that uh, incident. Thank you. Sorry for that one, Skip. Um, but yeah, <laughs> oh, by the way, that clip was called because swinging in live water would be cruel. Of course it would. Yeah. Um, I just love the thing. It's just so juiced out to have like this whole story about this. Uh, he didn't hit, adhere to the law because he shortly got to put swinging in live water <laughs> would be illegal, especially the upshot of that. Oh, no, it was kind of like he swung us, yeah, but it was dead. Yeah, yeah, so he's, he's like, oh, okay, yeah, that makes sense. And the whole gun control thing. In Canada, there isn't actually that strict gun control. Well, there's just reasonable gun control. Like, sorry, I'm not going to put to the bed. Yeah, we don't get into that, but are we? <laughs> they've got a big gun culture and they still keep it safe. Yeah. So I'm going to say, anyway, moving on from that. <laughs> uh, the final clip, which we may as well just barrel roll straight into, that was the one you were talking about. So, like, we get a wall scene. Which yeah. is very uncharacteristic for a Walsham. You got Walsham Ray talking very seriously. Usually, when Ray's in Walsh's office, it's because of some mad cat thing that Benny's doing. Yeah. Which they've got to justify and uh, they've got to explain away. And Michelle, could you pull it just a little louder? That'd be great. But in this scene, Walsh is really like, Walsh wants to get sort of, Ray is not messing around. Ray is not going. Oh, look, I'm sorry, sir, but could we do this? He's like, we've got to sort this stuff out, you know. It's, it's, it seems very real. And then it goes into the solution in a minute. Ooh. Well, shall we go into the water racing, which just does follow on from the last scene? Yeah, let's do it. Let's go into it. So, sorry, we're back to back scene, but it's really good. It's really episode. good scene, you see.
Tommy. I think they took a look over the basketball. Two guys held him down once the book dribbled the ball over his face. I'm talking like this thing happened 20 years ago and I remember it like yesterday. So the kid has the concrete, right? And he looks up at me with those eyes. Those eyes that say, help me. that's that is so heartbreaking the idea that uh, Ray's carried that around with him all these years oh yeah and then he gets a situation where like that's why he's uh, that that noise you hear in that clip is him being up a coffee machine uh, not because Ray like Benny doesn't want his drink it's uh, it's obviously just heartbreaking to him that oh. Yeah, I was going to say, it's like just getting this frustration out, isn't it? It's like beating up the machine of frustration. Yeah, and then he goes and he does face down with Zuko. There's a great final scene whereby Zuko has got around with everything and Ray's just like, well, sorry, I may as well go for broke. And he just takes a uh, basketball and just hammers this guy's face it's like, right, you're going to come at me? This is something you can't hide. I whack you in the face enough times with this basketball. You're going to come out with your face bleeding. I'm going to come out with a slightly bloody knuckle from punching you in the face, which he also does. Mm. People are going to know what happened here. There is no way that you can walk away from this. No way you can deny this. And I think the suggestion is, because when he's leaving, Rego's like, right, you've got one de- chance in the deal. I could forget all this if you drop your beef with a shoemaker he goes yeah it doesn't mean I won't come after you it's like I didn't ask and then you've got the guy in the uh, uh, viewing gallery for the basketball court yeah and uh, he looks up and goes what are you looking at and he goes nothing and basically what you can deduce from that is like he's lost all of power even over his own guys once one of them seen that they've got no reason to follow him or respect him they follow him and respect his dad they've seen what worm this guy is and they're like, well, we're out. We're definitely out. Like, there is no chance that we're going to follow you after this. And so I think the suggestion is there that, that that's the that's the crumbling of his empire. So, like, really, Vecchio is safe. Yeah. It's a really powerful moment as well. And I, we've never seen Ray like this before. No. This no, he's had his moment. Yeah. But it's always been tempered with a bit comedy. There isn't this a scintilla is, of comedy in this. No, it is. It is proper, um, serious and full on. And and you see him for this powerful man that he is. I mean, you know, he's this guy with a badge, but he's left his badge behind right now. This is Yeah, you even see him when he goes back to the car with Benny. Benny hands him his gun back. Yeah. And that means to me that it's like, I don't want this gun here in case I go too far. 
because he yeah. knows he's in a volatile situation. He doesn't want to do. He doesn't want to cross certain lines. No, he wants to cross a line as a because it's like yeah, that's the thing. He hasn't got his badge with him. He said that his cross hangs down. There is a few notes of classic kind of gangster movies like um, oh god, some of the Al Pacino stuff, like The Godfather stuff, and that the cross hanging down I think is very relevant. Very much in that uh, Italian Catholic kind of genre, in that kind of like um, mythos, you were putting a lot of symbolism there from those classic shows where the cop who's willing to cross the line to get stuff down, but he's the cop who won't cross certain lines. Mm. I think that's what you see in this. Yeah, I think this, this isn't about him being a cop, this is personal to him. Yeah. This is personal. I mean, it doesn't matter what he's got, what he's done. Like you say, he's left his gun back at the car with Benny. This is about him and, you know, what he's been through in the past. And he's not willing to put up with it anymore. He knows that this guy is a coward. Well, you, you, you harken back to line earlier from Walsh saying, it's like, we don't want to look like we're ignoring certain neighbourhoods. And this is... This is Benny, this is, sorry, Ray's neighbourhood. This is his neighbourhood growing up. It's not a neighbourhood to him, it's his neighbourhood. His. You know, he's thinking about his family, you know. Like someone said to him, like, previously in the episodes, like, when your sisters are walking past this church, you know, this, this is because he's really... I mean, you might want to kick a bottle yeah, on the floor. Yeah, I could kick a bottle about it, but it's, it's Ray's, like, you know, it, that could be fact, you know. His sisters could be walking past the church. His mum could be walking down that street. You know, this is personal to him. He wants to feel like his, him and his family are safe. And he's not willing to put up with these people that are doing this sort of stuff. Yeah, you know? I, I mean, to me, this is the uh, moment when you have... Uh, I mean, it's funny you should say about family because then you go back to Bernie in his apartment and you have a nice little Gordon Pinsent moment. Oh, you do, yeah. Of Benny Senior. And uh, you have a diary reading about, like, the guy who, you know, inspired revenge on him. Yeah. Lovely little cameo by Gordon Pinsent doing that little video. Then right in the closing shot, Francesca, like your sister, one of the sisters which was talked about just a moment before, yes. <laughs> arrives at Benny's door going, well, are we going to do this, <laughs> basically? I think we talked about this earlier on, are we going to get down to this? We, we didn't get into this very much, but there's loads of scenes throughout this episode where, like, she happens to be in the laundry shop just after that, well, or she was in the change rooms while they were doing all this business. She comes out like going, oh, this is worth it. I want to buy this one. And there's loads of moments where she she pops up, hinting that she's going to go after Fraser. Mm. She's in human, what can we say? Yeah, I mean, there's, there's definitely, yeah. Yeah. So this leads directly into the next episode, and I can't wait. I really love the next episode as well. And I can't merge them in one in my head. Now I remember, of course, it was a two-parter. So the an invitation to romance is next episode, which we're going to talk about. Mm, we shall get into it. But in the meantime, Michelle, we've got some orders of business. Have we? Well, yeah, you know, yeah. You, you, you're on the episode every week. Yeah. Why, why wouldn't you know that? Me too. Uh, so, Michelle, what is your favourite American of the week? That's a really, really tricky one this week. I think for, for all these little bits that we do at the end... 
This has probably been the trickiest one. I think I'm going to say my most American this week is going to be the lady in the lingerie. Really? The lady? Why? The lady in the lingerie. She is just a lady out there with her American dream doing her business and bringing in all the other American men. That's that. really bad, isn't it? <laughs> that was a great sentence. But uh, I'm going to go with... I'm sorry, I'm going to go with Zuko. Really? Yeah. Look, I'm not saying he's every American, but he is that ilk of American, the gangster American, which we've seen in so many of those classic American movies. Okay. Where he's like... Uh, I mean, he's the mobster, but he is the weaker mobster, the one which has been given the power... But as we see here, can't hold on to power because he hasn't got the real strength within. And that is a classic trope of the American gangster movie. Uh, Gangs of New York, you've got the uh, Goodfellas, you've got the uh, the Godfather at all. There's always a real gangster, a real kind of Godfather. We've got a punk one who's trying to have a claim to the throne and can't hold on to it. So, uh, Neve, have you got an American of the week? No. Fair enough. Anyway, so our most Canadian of the week. Ooh. Do you want me to go first? Yeah, yeah. Why not? You go. Who? That Canadian there. Which one? The Mountie. No, you're not allowed to have It's too easy. No, you've got to have some. You, uh, you can't have Fraser or um, Ray. As the American or the Canadian. Okay, um... Okay, anyway, my most Canadian... Sorry? Old man. Old man, old man thing. The man that said nothing. The old man thing who says nothing. Michelle, any ideas who that is? Yep. The man, you know when that man got beaten up by... That man, oh. I don't know. And he says, what are you looking at? And he says, nothing. Oh, the gangster at the end. Sure, okay. I mean, I guess he kind of does write the end by turning against the gangster. Yeah, we'll go with that. Okay, I'm going to go with the priest. Because again, he's given an opportunity where he could sell out. Sell out the, uh, the, the poor guy who just has been exploited. He chooses not to, guys. Who is the poor bugs for, if not for him? John? Um, I think my Canadian of the week is going to be... And I have to say, this has been a very tricky week for me. Oh! I'm struggling a little bit. Um, you should go with mine. It's fine. Let's go with mine. Oh, well, thank you both very much. It's very kind of you. Um, you don't have to reinvent the wheel every week. <laughs> and we are trying to wrap up the episode, oh, Michelle. Oh, wait, wait! Oh my goodness, yeah, I'll go for the same as you. Same as you. Okay, so it's the priest. Yes, right, it's uh, so the best Stephen Baker moment of the week. You've only got two to choose from. Mine is the very end one when he, you know, yes. in the um, diary and he's just looking cute. Well, I think it's also the fact that he's kind of restlessly uh, sort of marching about and moving. Because I don't think you meant to concentrate on him because I knew we had to do a Stephen Baker moment of the week and that was the only second one with him. I was glued to it. Yeah, I think so. And while Benny's there quietly, very concentrating on the diary and reading it, 
you've got uh, Devon Baker, who is just fidgeting like crazy, going, it's like, come on, are we not going to have my little treat and dental stick before bed? Same way as Dottie does. I think he's doing exactly a Dottie moment of going, yeah. it's like, yeah, well, where's the, where's the bedtime routine? Why are we not doing my nanites? Why are we doing this uh, reading of this? I think out of character, it's probably just um, Lincoln. Fidgeting about going, it's like, uh, yeah, when are we, when we going to say cut? Like, I've done two scenes this week, being a bit of a diva baker. Hashtag diva baker. Oh, yeah. You're, um, do you have a, well, oh, cringe. Really? Cringe, did you say, Neve? What's your uh, uh, diva baker moment of the week? I think it's the one that you said. Oh, that's weird, isn't it? It's weird. <laughs> cringe get hit, but now you agree. Okay, anyway, funny that. You said hashtag... Diva Baker. Anyway, look, I did promise you an order of business on part one of this. And that was uh, the 40 for 40. This is 40 things I want to do before my 40th birthday. Okey-dokey. And one of them, amongst all the list, was to write a piece of old-fashioned fan mail to someone who I truly admire. Now, there's a lot of G-South-themed ones. But I want to pick someone who wasn't very obvious. It was a bit, bit original. I could write it in an old-fashioned letter, but, well, when you hear the letter, you'll hear why I didn't do that. This one's written to Mr. Paul Gross. Ooh. And I'm going to read it out, and then, Michelle, if you don't mind, I'm going to print it on your printer. Okay. So this is uh, a, a fan mail printable, Paul Gross. From due south by southeast, but from me personally. Dear Paul, I wanted to write you an old school piece of fan mail to you for everything your art has done to enhance my life. I would have handwritten this, but as someone who is dyslexic, that would have been torture for you, for me to write and for you to read. Or for you to try to read, even. I remember growing up as a teenager watching due south. It was like a ball of lightning. The writing was so funny and different to anything else on TV, and like everyone, I was drawn to the chiseled Mountie who was the star of the show. No one but you could have brought the so much heart, comedy, and one call for pure silliness to the role. For me, the sequel was something I learned from one of your occasional co-stars, Leslie Nielsen, in the Naked Gun films. He was apparently coached by the directors not to play it for laughs, but to play even the silliest things they had written for him with the seriousness of the acting they had hired for him, him for, based on his previous work. You exemplified this school of acting. Whereas Due South had many serious and heartbreaking moments, it also had so much fun to it, but no matter what, you played the character as real and drew me further in. Then as the show evolved over the years, I saw your name appear as producer and director, and of course, there were the songs. Your performances of Ride Forever and Rob McKenzie, which I remember you singing on the National Lottery Show here in the UK, moved me greatly. And both Q South soundtracks, along with your album Two Houses, were in a loop on my CD player for a very long time. It would be years later, I was looking for, to do a second podcast alongside the one I hosted interviewing folks from Doctor Who. A friend of mine, Michelle, was to be my co-host. 
and we saw it as an excuse to catch up over a bottle of rum and record something. But about what? It was then I remembered that in college we had talked about Due South as it aired. I looked it up and saw no one had done a show about Due South, save one that lasted a couple of episodes and went away. No one seemed to talk about this show, but I remember how much it was loved at the time, and I was sure I wouldn't be the only one who wanted to celebrate the show. I told Michelle the idea and she loved it. We would talk about each episode one at a time to give Due South its dues on Due South by Southeast. Named as we lived in the southeast of England, we host under the tribute names to the show of Mountie Michelle and Detective Squee. Straight away, we found hundreds of listeners who, like us, loved the show to this day, and it also became a love letter to Canada, with us having special episodes celebrating ours and Canadians' guests, top 10 Canadians. We were also sometimes joined by my girlfriend, Mountie Nicola, and my wolf, Dotty Baker, my Labrador. Last Christmas, we extended out our podcast for a Christmas Christmas special talking about your movie, Men With Brims. Not only had I gained an appreciation and love of curling at the recent Winter Olympics at the time, but I loved the humour and sweet Canadian spirit of that film. It was clearly your breakthrough moment and a very personal movie. Again, I was met with Leslie Nielsen, working alongside you for the first time in years, giving a performance worthy of this amazing talent. The problem with so many of the spoofs that followed Naked Gun was a lack of understanding of the funny coming out of someone playing it straight. In your movie, he was playing the funny straight once more and it elevated it all the way. We now plan to see the series based on the film for this Christmas's coming podcast. I don't write this expecting anything from you as you've already given us so much, but of course... As a podcast about you, South, we would get anything to have you on the show. Contact details above if you'd be able to Skype in an interview to the show sometime, or even just record an intro. I know this may ignore so much of your more recent and great body of work. I'm not yet familiar with, but rest assured, we and our listeners will be, by the end of this podcast, very familiar with this. But you should know how much you, South, has influenced me and the writing I now do today. Ride forever, Ian Detective Squeeshaw. So, uh, sorry for the slightly garbled reading. I've said before I'm not the greatest uh, at reading things out. Uh, usually, I have to learn my lines if I'm doing anything creative like that. But yeah, that is my um, my little uh, letter to to Paul Grice. It's pretty sweet. I like to think so. Yeah, yeah. So hopefully, oh god, like I mean, I didn't want to ask more of the guy, but if he came on the show. How great would that be? But anyway, Michelle, Michelle, we've we've gone pretty long on this. This is now two-parter. So for this week, I've been Detective Squee. With me as always has been Dottie Baker and Lil... Neve, why have you got your head head in your hands? What? I think my mum's drunk. That's besides the point. You have been... Amazing. What's your name, though? Oh, Neve. Oh, mini Mountie Prime Neve. Yep. And of course, my co-host for the podcast, Mountie Michelle. Michelle, say people had a a, a compass, they wanted to 
keep it pointed in a certain direction until next week's show. Why would they keep that compass pointed? Well, I keep mine pointed south by southeast. Not due south by southeast. No, just south by southeast. Michelle, say it properly. Due south by southeast. <laughs> Okay, Neve, are you ready to end the recording and start the intervention? Yeah. Good, good night, folks. <laughs>